Welcome to the Pathboard Utah. I'm Jamie Rinder, your host. Another Monday is, I guess it is here. <laughs> I don't know how the weeks keep coming by, but they keep on coming. And, and we're about to enter into the month of September. And uh, so the, the year is going to be almost three quarters the way finished. And uh, 2021 is, you know, 2020 was quite the year and 2021 is, uh, going to match it pretty close. Actually, 2021 may even be going to be telling 2020 to hold my beer because 2021 is uh, definitely looking like it's going to outdo 2020. And so anyway, we have a lot to talk about today and what it took place last week and over the weekend and what's taking place right now as we're going to be talking on this program, what's happening in Louisiana and and uh, in Afghanistan and other states. But I want to talk about the word sanity because I think we're all probably losing our sanity. And uh, and so Jordan Peterson, as I've mentioned on this program multiple times, is someone I listen to and read his books. And he talks about sanity. And one of the important ways that we can maintain our sanity is by keeping a daily routine. And that's probably been my worst attribute in life is, the one thing I'm very consistent at is being inconsistent. And, uh, but I'm starting to feel the need of more consistency in my life because everything around me is so inconsistent. And uh, another thing he talked about sanity is that we measure our sanity based around the norms around us. And, uh, and that's kind of how we derive our social cues and maintain our sanity is by getting those social cues off people, uh, you know, in our workplace, in our, in our school and um, just around society as a whole, but society has turned upside down in every possible way. And so a lot of people are having a hard time measuring their level of sanity right now, because there's no, um, there's no social norms to measure by anymore. And um, so this word sanity is taking Definitely a new twist on how we maintain our sanity in a world that is totally upside down. And so I'm going to ask Dr. Marcy on Wednesday if she can talk about sanity and how we can maintain our sanity in this crazy world because it's going to take some new skill sets. Uh, So one of the skill sets I've decided is taking Dr. Peterson up on his challenge of trying to maintain a daily schedule to the best of my ability. Um, and so I think in, a, in addition to our sanity, we have to look um, the importance of the sanity of our children and the people around us. So just be mindful that, uh, that routines and when the rest of the, the things that we rely on for those social boundaries are now being turned upside down that we have to then create our own boundaries and uh, and some of that's done through routine. So that's something that, again, I have been very inconsistent on as a routine. I'm a little ADHD. And so routine does not necessarily fall into my mindset. I kind of bounce back and forth on different things, but 
I've decided with all the other chaos around me that routine probably is what I need more of. And so in order to main, maintain my sanity is uh, more routine. So anyway, I just want to put that challenge out there to everyone that uh, we all have to take a little bit more control over our mental health and uh, and how we're going to maneuver through this crazy time that we're dealing with. So uh, again, listen to Dr. Marcy on Wednesdays, and I'm going to ask her if it's not this week, she probably already has a program this week, but in the next couple of weeks to talk about how we can maintain good mental health. And she talks about this all the time, but I'm specifically going to ask her to talk about how we can maintain our sanity. How, In the word sanity, I'm going to read the definition here. The ability to think and behave in a normal and rational manner. The sound mental health. And uh, so what does that mean anymore? A normal and rational manner. <laughs> because, uh, you know, normality has been kind of yanked out from underneath us. And rationale uh, also has been, uh, the mindset behind that has been changed. So I'm going to have her address that in today's world. What does that mean and how can we maintain our sanity in the world in which we're living in? I'm going to go on to just a few stories um, briefly that I want to just kind of touch on, and then we'll get into some of the deeper stories that's going on. Um, Australia, you know, I I remember uh, 30-some-odd years ago, I was going to serve a mission for the LDS church, and I put in for, I wanted an English-speaking foreign mission, really wanted to go to Australia. It was one of my countries of choice. I ended up going to Canada, which I loved. I served in Alberta, Canada. Spent uh, 19 months there. Uh, but Australia was one of these countries that the romance of Australia, the freedom, the, you know, the uh, just kind of that wild, you know, edge to Australia just kind of attracted me. And I actually served ahead of missionary companion from Australia. And there's just always been something a romantic edge about Australia. But boy, is there anything but that now? Um, and so I don't know what's happened to Australia because it was before, you know, even three, four years ago, I would say Australia kind of aligned a lot with the United States. You know, when Donald Trump was first elected, I kind of felt like uh, Australia was right there kind of as a partner with the United States and freedom and, and pressing for um, freedom. And then now, I mean, they are total lockdown and they even have, uh, camps for those both with coronavirus and those who are broke, breaking coronavirus uh, laws and regulations. And it is, it is tyranny and it's, uh, it is, it is a tyrannical government right now. So I don't know what to think of Australia, but, uh, but we, we see right now in um, France, uh, the people are out in the millions in France fighting for their freedom so France, um, it's just been miraculous to see the freedom-loving people out there. Those who've chosen to get the vaccination are out there burning their vaccination cards and standing in solidarity uh, with their fellow citizens who are choosing not to get their vaccination, get the vaccination on the overreach of the government there in France. You see in Great Britain, a lot of people standing together for freedom uh, have not seen that to the degree here in the United States. I'm not sure, you know, where where we're going to see that or at what point. But um, I'm going to talk just about a couple of incidences that we've got to, 
you know, if we don't wake up, we're just going to um, wake up one day and realize that, we, you know, we're a little bit worse off than Australia or France or, or England. Uh, a mother w- went into a custody hearing uh, with her ex-husband. He was over child support. It had nothing to do with the ex-husband's concern over their mother's uh, approach on coronavirus or, or vaccination. And the judge asked the mother if she was vaccinated. And the mother said, no, she wasn't vaccinated. And the judge revoked custody. The mother had full custody of this child. And the judge revoked custody of this mother uh, for being able to see her her son uh, because she was not vaccinated. And this is in Chicago. This is the United States. And uh, <clears throat> this was not part of the custody hearing. Uh, this was not an issue the father had out of concern or risk that it imposed upon the child. This was a judge gone rogue that decided that he knew best uh, for this child's welfare and revoked the mother's ability to care for her son because she chose not to be vaccinated. Um, Then we see uh, General Flynn, three-star general who served this country. The Chase Manhattan Bank is now is going to close all of his bank accounts. Um, Social credit system coming to the United States, it is here. Uh, We see the people who attended the January 6th rally. I'm not talking about the people who entered the the Capitol uh, peacefully or unpeacefully. I'm talking about people who just attended, have had their bank accounts frozen have even had money confiscated other bank accounts by the FBI under laws that we passed after 9/11 that may never see them you know their money back again um, and because this isn't happening to us perhaps you know it's not happening to you and me maybe we're not getting as outraged by it but we should be outraged by it because it could be you and me Um. So these are just a few things that are taking place. I mean, the FBI basically concluded that there was no major conspiracy uh, for an insurrection, if you will, on January 6th. They basically said there's no evidence. The FBI did a thorough investigation, but yet we have a a House uh, committee set up right now that is... um, going totally rogue and in, in investigations that's going uh, places that we never would have thought a house committee could go, especially based on no underlying evidence and uh, into fellow lawmakers, into the lives of private citizens that happened to be in DC that day uh, into their finances, uh, the way these Prisoners are being treated, uh, being locked up in solitary confinement. Abuses that are being committed against these people that have been locked up since January 6th. Uh, Lawyers and others not being able to have access to these prisoners. Um, it it, It is broken right now. And the fact that there's been zero accountability, um, for the months and months and months of riots that truly did damage 
uh, across our nation. Billions of dollars worth of damage. Uh, 200 people died in those, in those riots. Uh, thousands of police officers injured. And thousands of small businesses lost their businesses. And very little to no accountability for the people who participated in those. Because we had George Soros, who had undermined the electoral process and had put in district. I can't totally blame it on him. I should blame it on us as citizens, but also on these left-leaning cities and states who were asleep at the will. And and they even realized they were asleep at the will. Some of them do now. And uh, allowed district attorneys to be elected uh, that are just allowing these people that are arrested to be let go and uh, and not charged for, for any crimes, just to be back out on the streets committing the crime again, over and over again, and there's no accountability. So now Portland, um, and not just in Portland, in California too, there's these ongoing street battles between Antifa and the Proud Boys. And... Uh, and so you'll hear people, the news media, trying to make it all about the Proud Boys. and But the Proud Boys are, and I'm not a big Proud Boy fan, so I'm just going to put that right out there. But when you have no police who are willing to stand up, or you have a mayor who refuses to allow the police to defend the First Amendment rights to people of a different thought process that are coming into their cities, um, with a permit to protest or to speak or to have a rally. And there is no police protection against this mob role of Antifa. And the Proud Boys are the only ones who will stand up against Antifa. Are they the current day police? And yet in these brawls, Antifa will be the only ones held accountable for the violence, even though the violence starts with Antifa. So on this definition of sanity that I mentioned, it's hard to maintain your sanity when this stuff is happening and you're going, you know, your frustration levels reach the peak that, you know, you don't want to cower in your freedoms. But this is how people become um, accustomed, that's not the right word, become trained into changing their thought processes because they don't want to give up the money in their bank account. They don't want to give up the rights to raise their children. Um, they don't want to go out and protest for the things that they believe in, knowing that they can be attacked and beaten, and the police aren't going to be there to protect them. So they start being quiet. They start going out. And they, they stop going out. They just start, you know, being reclusive and, and uh, staying at home and, and just doing those things with their family. And all of a sudden, it appears that no one has those feelings. And, you know, the media did this to us for a long time. The media, the media had us believing that we're the minority um, and that uh, we're the only ones that think the way that we think. And then Donald Trump came along. And all of a sudden, we all, we all realized we're not the minority. And uh, we were just a silent majority. And then we became where we weren't going to be the silent majority anymore that uh, we were the majority and we were going to be the loud majority and we were going to be the vocal majority. And so the powers to be decided they had to find a way to make sure that we weren't going to be that vocal majority. 
And so these are the tactics that they're using. Uh, stripping of us of our of our wealth, uh, taking the rights away to to raise our children, uh, canceling our bank accounts, um, forcing us. I mean, make it a choice between taking a vaccination or keeping our jobs. Um, I mean, there's a ton of tactics coming all at once. And sometimes it's far more than our minds can kind of comprehend. And so we think, man, we're going freaking crazy. So is it us going crazy? Is it the world around us going crazy? And it's sometimes hard to know which one it is, but uh, so that's, that's kind of what's going on around us. And on top of that, we have a catastrophe after catastrophe taking place. And uh, so I'll talk about kind of what's going on in Afghanistan um, I'm going to have my husband one day take over. Maybe I can talk him into coming on tomorrow because my husband spent six years in Afghanistan, five and a half years in Afghanistan. So I'd like to invite him to come on, if he will, one day to kind of give you an overview of what the history of Afghanistan is and uh, why we're having the problems that we have there. But one of the things that he just shared at the dinner the other night when we were out with some friends is he talked about some of the Afghans he worked with and uh, on education levels. And when you haven't had education, so one of the first things right now the Taliban's doing is taking away the educational systems. And so when you can take away education from people, you can keep people in ignorance and you can control them. But unfortunately, you don't have a very qualified workforce. And uh, so, you know, we left all this equipment over there, which is true, and we shouldn't have done that. But to what degree the Afghan army or the Afghan people or even the Taliban will be able to use that equipment um, unless, you know, they'll have their Chinese counterparts coming in. So that may be able to make that equipment more usable. Um, But um, he would, he had one uh, interpreter and a couple of Afghans that he worked with that, that he would just strictly every day have them write one through 10 on the board or their ABCs on the board uh, until they could actually learn to write because they couldn't read. They didn't understand uh, mathematics. Uh, they'd never been to school. And so it's not just starting, you know, from a, a, a baseline that, you know, you might think, you know, well, we'll teach them how to work on this equipment or that equipment. Um, because they're not capable of starting in that baseline because they don't have the underlying uh, education needed to start at that baseline. And so it's far more complicated than, than we can understand because we live in a modern society. And there was a time, you know, back in the 1970s before Afghanistan got in this 50 year war that they've been in, that the Afghans were, you know, very educated. But 50 years, what happens in 50 years of war and 50 years of the people being forced not to be able to be educated and uh, what it does to a society when only 1 in 10, 1 in 15 people actually can read and write. So that's kind of what we're dealing with in Afghanistan and why it was more of a long-term mission if we were ever going to be successful there. and in some of the lack of total leadership um, 
that went into Afghanistan from our, our leader's perspective. So it either had to be a long-term mission goal where we put a lot more emphasis on um, kind of like we did in Japan and Germany uh, on our values and goals, or we just take care of business and get out. And uh, we never had any clear definition, but what we, and so I was not opposed to us getting out of Afghanistan based on the fact that we're spending $53 billion a year minimal in Afghanistan, which we couldn't even come up with $15 billion for a wall to protect our borders, our southern borders. We couldn't even come up with $15 billion for President Trump to put a wall up to protect our southern borders. But uh, but somehow we were managing to spend $53 billion a year in Afghanistan and not actually having defined mission. So, again, my issue was not whether we should or should not stay in Afghanistan, but it's how we got out of Afghanistan and the total incompetence that the Biden administration exercised in this. And a lot of people would like to think it's because he's uh, got some mental disabilities, that he's got dementia, but it was not Biden who made those decisions. It was his generals. It was people around him. And I don't think it was by mistake. I think it was intentional. I think it was meant to be chaotic. And uh, I I mentioned this about a week ago with Candace Owens was one of the first ones that kind of brought up, you know, the whole connection with China and what China had to gain from Afghanistan. And I hate to feel that a president of the United States sold out our American people to China in Afghanistan, but I, I, I believe that that's probably the case in my heart right now is that this was an intentional fiasco that cost American lives. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be, be as uh, devastating as it turned out to be. But when you pull out American troops in the middle of the night without even telling your Afghan counterparts that you're leaving, and you do so when you have military contractors on the ground that you haven't pulled out. You have student students and teachers with visas in the country that you haven't forced to get out of the country prior to doing this. That you haven't honored your commitments to your Afghan allies that were stood by you for 20 years. That you had promised them that uh, you get them out of country if you ever left. Um, <clears throat> that you have. Uh, billion worth of equipment left on the ground, many of which had intelligence of the United States uh, intertwined with that equipment. This is not a mistake. This was intentional. And uh, and now we've lost 13 American lives, uh, military lives, and we have many more that probably American lives that will be lost over in Afghanistan. So We'll be back on the Pathboard Utah to talk about where we are in our nation, how do we move forward, and how do we maintain our sanity at a time of craziness. Back on the Pathboard Utah in just a minute.
Welcome back to the Path Forward Utah. I'm Jamie Rinda, your host. I'm just going to kind of do some just random things that's going on throughout the United States again, kind of as I did in the first part of the show, because there's so many different things going on. I want to just touch base on the COVID uh, problem that we have going on. And we had a, a gentleman in Texas, age 30, who was leading a anti vaccination anti-mask uh, movement who contacted coronavirus and unfortunately uh, ended up losing his life. We had another Florida commentator, a conservative commentator who was an anti-vaxxer who ended up in the hospital. He was 65 and ended up dying of coronavirus. And uh, so in saying this, I want to one I, I've never minimized, I don't feel like I've minimized coronavirus. I think it's very real. Uh, I question the source in which it was created. I, I don't feel like it was a natural uh, virus that just happened to pop up. And I feel like we need to get to the bottom of where coronavirus came from. Um, on the other hand, is it worth the freedoms that uh, we're giving up or um in exchange for the protection and safety, because I don't know, again, the, the guy in Texas, do mask really, would mask really help this gentleman to have prevented contacting coronavirus? I mean, a lot of science does not suggest that it does. You know, all the plexiglass that all the restaurants, including myself, put up, they're now saying we're ineffective and maybe even made things worse. Yet uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars of plexiglass were spent uh, to make people feel better. Um, I went eight months of my mother's life in the last part of eight months of her life without being able to really see her very much because uh, the the lockdowns and the way the assisted living was working for her just to contact coronavirus from a hospice aid um, versus allowing a, at least a family member coming in to be able to see her. So I, I talk about the trade-off, the trade-off of what we're giving up for the safety that they're claiming that we're going to get in return. So I find it very sad that these two people lost their lives. And uh, where there's a lot of people on the flip side out there that are dancing and rejoicing that these anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers are dead and uh, that they're finding some type of a sick joy in that and not understanding the basic principles that we're fighting for, and that's for freedom, and uh, and that the the cure and that uh, and the things that we're trading off for this quote safety that's not an assured safety, because even the states that have severe lockdowns and um, versus the states that have had a lot more freedom, have not found um, a big difference in uh, the outcomes. So the the freedoms that they've given up and the sacrifices made uh, did not produce a a big difference in safety. And so I I don't think people understand uh, what the fight has been about. And so I I find it, one, I find it quite sad that people get joy out of uh, people's deaths 
even if they disagree with the argument that those people were presenting, that there is some kind of joy that still is uh, obtained by that. But uh, two, I want to just emphasize again that we should be mindful that this is very real and that there are consequences out there. And, uh, and I recognize that. And I, and I think, you know, I have some children that are definitely far more precautious on this than I am. And I've just made a decision. I'm going to live my life. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to have a negative outcome from it. Um, like these two gentlemen did, but it just means that, you know, I may have had that negative outcome regardless um, of how I love my life. And uh, it just so happens to be that I'm choosing to love my life where my mindset uh, is the healthiest, and that's out engaging with people and trying to do the best I can to maintain our freedoms and to maintain to make sure we have good leaders elected and not to allow what I consider very nefarious plans to take over our country. So anyway, I, I just want to mention those two people and, and uh, express my, my grief in behalf of those families. Um, there's a lot of people that are hurting right now, and, and I'm sure those families are, are kind of questioning the missions that uh, their partners had on whether it was worth it or not worth it. Or, and, uh, but there's still no guaranteed safety. I know a lot of people that were very, very safe that contacted coronavirus. And uh, so safety does not always have a direct connection uh, to whether or not you get coronavirus or not get coronavirus. And just because you're against masks or against vaccinations does not mean that you don't understand that there are still a very real virus out there that can be detrimental if, uh, if, you, if you contact it, that there is a percentage of the population that uh, it could impact in a, in a deadly way, but it's a very small percentage and uh, so we as in everything there's a risk assessment made on how we're going to live our lives so anyway in addition to we had it on a on a good note on a positive note because we definitely need those i shouldn't say i don't know if this is a positive note but uh in the state of utah last night um at our state house capitol let me pull this up we had a a uh, a candlelight vigil that was very well attended, and uh, for Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover, uh, who was a Marine that was killed over in Afghanistan, so very very thrilled in our in our state that we had a lot of great people come out and express their uh, gratitude for this Marine and appreciation towards his family for his life that uh, he gave in representing our country and trying to help get Americans out of Afghanistan along with our Afghan allies. Um, I'm sure in the other 12 uh, military people that lost their lives, they had similar receptions in their states. And uh, so anyway, there's a, I would like to think we as Americans can pull together again 
At least last night, there were some Americans that came together to express their gratitude for this staff sergeant, this Marine that lost his life. So anyway, that's in the state of Utah for Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. Again, express our sympathies to him and for his loss and to his family and uh, to all of our other um, military members that are still over in Afghanistan and throughout the world and for the sacrifice that they make in protecting us and protecting our freedoms. And I want to make a comparison um, to when January 6th happened. January 6th, um, we had, you know, thousands of unarmed Americans who were pissed off about the election. And I wish they hadn't acted stupid and stormed on the Capitol and some of them entered. And it should, the Capitol should have been open. It's a public house. It's a people's house. But uh, whatever morons broke in the window. And I don't know if those were actually pro-Trump people because I've seen the videos. They look like Antifa. Or they look like somebody that's uh, definitely hiding their identity. They don't look like uh, MAGA people. They don't. Um, if you've seen the videos, the people breaking out those windows, they look like they are definitely Antifa people. And uh, you know why won't they release all the the official videos from January sixth? I mean, there's cameras that were everywhere. We should be able to see these cameras. But the point I'm making is that uh, thousands of uh, people unarmed came on the Capitol. It was four hours of craziness. Um, But in response to that, we deployed 25,000 National Guard people for six months, put up a barrier around our state house, around our capital, prohibited the people from being able to enter on into the people's house. And uh, for over six months, 25,000 deployed National Guard to protect 535 senators and congressmen. Now, let's put that in perspective, too. The 15,000 Americans that were left in Afghanistan that were left there and abandoned by military that pulled out in the dead of the night without pulling our civilians out first. And how many military did we put in to save them? We didn't put in 25,000. I'm trying to find the number, but I'm thinking it's closer to six or 7,000 military people to go into Afghanistan behind enemy lines and save 15,000 Americans that were located throughout different parts of Afghanistan. And, uh, and then when, from my understanding that President Biden was offered by the Taliban to take control over the airport of Kabul, Kabul and turned it down. Why wouldn't we want to secure that airport for six months to make sure that we could get every American out? Um, so again, just put that in perspective. Uh, 
six months of our nation's capital being chained off, protected by 25,000 National Guard members. And uh, because some unarmed, pissed-off voters got upset and did some stupid things, crowd mentality things, on January 6th, versus the Taliban who came in and ripped up one city after another and uh, were killing women and children and... uh, and men, as they went on their, their little terror of their campaign terror to, to retake all, this pro, uh, all these areas, as they were coming in, and we sent in five or 6,000 military people in to save 15,000 Americans. I mean, the disproportionate response uh, seems kind of just totally out of whack to me. And then you ha- have people like, um, AOC that's claiming, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome and all that. Well, no, the people and, uh, and our soldiers in Afghanistan have the right to claim post-traumatic stress disorder after what they've been through, not these 535 people that w- were subjected of a few hours of chaos in our nation's capital, but yet you know, had six months of armed protection, the same people who want to defund the police and allow the average citizen not to have uh, protection. But uh, they go out and hire at the tax dollars expense um, private security. One of my favorite people I've quoted on here before, Zuby. And uh, so anyway, uh, I'm going to give a quote, Zuby's quote of the day. It's going to be hard for me to give for, to forgive people for allowing and supporting this level of government overreach. Our nation's casually sleepwalked into tyranny. And those of us who tried to ring the alarm were attacked for seeing it early. So this goes back to my point that the two gentlemen that passed away um, that were fighting the fight it doesn't mean that they didn't recognize that there wasn't a serious illness out there, a serious virus. They just knew that the potential of the of the damage being done to our freedoms and this government overreach was far greater than the virus itself. And unfortunately, they lost their lives in the process. Um, of that virus. So let me see. Oh, I know what I was going to get to. I was going to get to my, my favorite moron minute that I have not given in some time. So Mitt, and the guy just doesn't, uh, doesn't give it up when it comes to uh, President Trump. Uh, I mean, this is obviously has nothing to do with President Trump, this horrible exit strategy. I mean, for one, Biden hasn't abided by anything that President Trump had in place. So he didn't have to abide by anything President Trump had on Afghanistan. And two, he didn't follow anything President Trump had planned on the exit strategy in Afghanistan because 
President Trump had a specific exit strategy that would have taken our civilians out, our Afghan allies out, and our military equipment out prior to pulling our military out. He would have left in Bagram Air Force Base a uh, thousand special forces soldiers and was going to continue to maintain Bagram Air Force Base, which was essential in maintaining um, peace over there and making sure the Taliban did not uh, do what they did. So, no, uh, Biden did not follow anything that Trump did. But uh, Mitt Romney goes on CNN, of course, and has to say <clears throat> something to tie Trump to this. Senator Mitt Romney on Sunday said the state, uh, state of the Union accused the Trump administration of having helped cause this crisis unfolding in Afghanistan. Uh, Jake Tapper asked, should the U.S. military presence in Kabul airport until every American citizen and legal permanent resident and Afghan uh, applicant is gone, even if that means service members stand for weeks and months? Of course, there is a real possibility of American casualties. Uh, Romney goes on, and he does say this. He says, leaving Americans behind and leaving Afghan friends behind who work for us would put us and will put us on a more will put a moral stain on America. The result of this is very ineffective decisions. So he doesn't. He's, he this is where he goes rogue here. The result of this very ineffective decisions made by the prior administration and the current administration. This did not have to happen. It had nothing to do with the prior administration. But Mitt Romney just can't help himself. He has to be undermining to Trump in every opportunity possible. And that's probably killing him to be undermining to President Biden because he loves President Biden and uh, takes every opportunity to praise Biden uh, that he can. But if he's going to have to throw Biden under the bus, he's going to throw Trump under the bus with Biden. So again, and uh, I know, I don't know, know if I'm supposed to say this, and, and Joe may come back and get me, but Mitt the shit has, is at it again. And when it comes to trying to throw President Trump under the bus on this, no, President Trump had nothing to do with this horrible exit strategy, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, you are a, a very dishonest and, and not a very good person. So we'll just leave it at that. That's my moron Mitt Minute. Um, so tomorrow night, we are having a party. So this is my good news of the day since the last good news I was going to share kind of wasn't totally good news because it was good news that people came together, but it had the sad news of a, a Marine who lost his life uh, in that. But uh, as we are celebrating James Edwards being on the prophet. Now, if you're not able to join us here locally here in Ogden, uh, it's going to be airing 8 o'clock Mountain Time. We're starting the party here in Ogden at the Monarch at 630 and we're going to be celebrating James Gourmet Pies going on the profit. So it should be, it's going to be a fun night and being able to celebrate entrepreneurship. Lexit is one of the people helping put on this party uh, for James because the Blexit Foundation believes in entrepreneurship and free enterprise as a means to escape poverty and to escape dependency upon government programs. Um. If you look at our college students of today, there's a significant 
either a significant minority or even perhaps now a majority, they're embracing this concept of communism or socialism. We have to celebrate entrepreneurship. We have to make it a big deal. The American dream is going to die if we don't. To be able to have the freedom to fail at a business or succeed at a business is the American dream. And uh, and James Edwards at James Gourmet Pies uh, is the perfect example of the American dream in action. So we are excited to come and celebrate with James on Tuesday night. Uh, so if you happen to live in Ogden, Utah, join us at the Monarch this Tuesday, the 31st at 630. And we're going to have a great time celebrating with James um, as his episode on the prophet is going to be aired. I have another, on a personal note, some good news. I, I went to Arizona over the weekend, and my daughter uh, graduated from uh, PA school. She's going to be part of the medical establishment, and quite proud of her. So a little shout-out to my daughter uh, on her great success there. And um, my husband, who throughout our marriage has been more the pessimist, and I've been more the optimist, We've kind of changed roles, and uh, <laughs> and he's having he's finding his role as being more the optimist, and where I'm kind of seeing the world through a little darker darker lens these days. Uh, had to remind me of all that we have to be grateful for, and uh, and we do have we have four wonderful children that I'm very grateful for, and they're all doing really good in life, and uh, we have a great home to live in. Uh, we live in a great community. We have good water to drink. Um, we have, there, there's many things to be grateful for. So I, I don't want to take a minute to, to remind people that we, we have to take the opportunity every day to think of the many blessings we have to be grateful for and put, put life into perspective. And uh, so sometimes I do get a little overwhelmed on where we are going in the world around us, but make sure that you take the opportunity to, to make your gratitude list because that does help get us through the day and uh, will help get us through these hard times is when we, we keep gratitude in the forefront of our thoughts and uh, we make sure that we're always grateful for the many blessings that we've been given in our lives. And, uh, and make sure you get uh, you look for the little things that you have to be grateful for because sometimes it's those little things that make life the most enjoyable. So uh, get your gratitude books out there and make sure that uh, that you're writing down the little things you have to be grateful for. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for good children that uh, are trying to figure out this crazy world that they're embarking into as adults and, uh, and seem to be finding success in, in their adventures. So I'm excited for them, and it's definitely a new adventure for them. So tomorrow, uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to persuade my husband into coming on and talking more about some more in-depth understanding of Afghanistan and what we're facing there, what the Afghan people are facing, especially as we're bringing so many Afghans into our country. And is it really the best thing for the Afghan people or America to bring Afghans into our country? Should we be relocating them to other places where uh, it would be more of a comfortable position for them culturally to be. So there's a lot of things that we should be uh, discussing, both both for their benefit and ours, um, hard decisions. And um, 
So anyway, we're going to move forward. But in the state of Utah, we have a lot of Blexit is having their first event tomorrow night. And that is the celebration of James as the entrepreneur at the Monarch. And uh, we have a great team ahead of us. And we're going to do some wonderful things. Um, there's some good people out there fighting this fight. So make sure you take the time. If you're not out there fighting the fight to tell somebody that is, that you appreciate their, their efforts and that you find your little area that you can make a difference in, whether it's your school board, your city council, your county commissioners, your state, um, whatever it is, try to find your area that you can contribute to and make the world and our government a little bit better place. So we'll be back tomorrow on the Path Forward Utah. And don't forget to listen Thursday for Dr. Marcy. We'll be back tomorrow. 